Hallelujah. God bless you guys. Please be seated. Um, before I pray for him, we've been away on a, on a, on a pastor's uh, retreat, and um, it would really be good to, normally what happens at this time of the year, I kind of fill you in a little bit about what's been going on at the pastor's retreat. Because we've got Alan here, I'm going to get him to do that. So, Alan, can I ask you, uh, what, what was uh, one of the highlights uh, from the pastor's retreat? Well, it's probably more than one. I'm going to give you three, actually. Uh, Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So so the pastor's retreat, it's existing ministers and those who are potential ministers and leaders in churches who come together for a couple of days. And uh, it was great to see so many young people who were moving towards ministry and ordination in our network of churches. So that was really encouraging. Mind you, I suppose everyone looks like a young person to me. So... (laughs) Uh, that's one. Two, we sang And Can It Be, that great Wesley hymn, and it was just awesome. The sound ringing in the room as everyone was not just singing And Can It Be, but really going for it. That, that was great too. The other privilege was that we had a number of leaders from a sister denomination who came and joined us. Uh, they're going through a really tough time at the moment with really big decisions to make. Uh, and we just welcomed them as colleagues and friends. And it was just amazing to spend time with them as they shared some of their conflict and their pain. And we were able to pray with them. And the wonderful thing was to see the change in their demeanor from when they arrived to when That may be because they wondered who we were and maybe realized we weren't too strange. But those th- were three things from. Yeah, I- I've got to say, it's probably the best one I've been to. Is this even on? Yeah, it's probably the best one I've been to. There's definitely a real, real kind of uh, presence of, of, of God's spirit amongst us. Can I ask, what would be one, or maybe even three, of the things that we, we can be praying for for the movement going forward? Uh, John Townley, who is the lead of the, the leadership team at the moment, has sought God and has been given what he believes is a vision from God that we're standing behind which is to see this network of churches increased to 100, and church, 100 churches or more by 2034. Uh, and, and so we are praying into that and seeking to say, where does God want us to establish a new uh, congregation that can reach a new community? This isn't about multiplying congregations. It's about reaching new areas. So it may even be that here from uh, Hope Church, there are areas I know you're already involved in areas around here, uh, but they could become congregations, not for the sake of having yet more numbers, but for reaching those communities so people can walk, literally walk to the church rather than having to drive to the church. Save us some parking space. You can tell that Alan didn't get a parking space today. I didn't look for one. Oh, did you not? Okay. I, I, okay. Went, I went across there. I, I'm only joking. Guys, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to pray for uh, Alan and... Let him open up God's word to us. Uh, Father, I just want to pray your blessing upon Alan and upon Sue. And Lord, I want to thank you for faithful gospel ministry uh, over a period of, of, of years. And Lord, I want to thank you for his friendship. Uh, Lord, I know that within the, within the it says that we have many guardians, but we don't have many fathers for the faith. And Lord, I really uh, feel his, his influence upon me and upon this church as a, as a fatherly uh, influence. And Lord, I, I just pray not, not only uh, your blessing for him in a general sense, but Lord, in a specific sense, Lord, that, that this part of his ministry will be the most fruitful. And I ask as he comes to open up the word, uh, Lord, that you might speak through him. Uh, let his heart burn uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, and may we have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, amen. 
Amen. I've been asked if I'll speak from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. And I understand this will also be the passage that will be looked at in our service tonight. So I'm going to read that passage uh, together and then make some uh, references to it. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Ioannis near Salem because there was plenty of water there and the people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and the Jews over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, it is now, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains. On him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Scripture. We believe it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we consider its truths, we pray that you would help us to apply them to our lives today. And we pray that there, you would shine your truth upon our steps so that we can walk in the ways that you've called us to walk. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The passage that we've read this morning uh, introduces us to one of the final episodes in the life and ministry of John the Baptist. It's an amazing picture of someone who is incredibly gracious when he sees someone else becoming more popular. If you're in a leadership position, whether at work or in church or in the community, uh, and you've had a certain amount of success, and then someone arises who is more influential than you, you can sometimes struggle with a bit of jealousy or a thought that, why didn't they have that response to me? I work equally hard, and they seem to be responding to everything that this person says. This sometimes can happen to pastors when a visiting preacher comes and the congregation say, wow, what preaching? And the pastor thinks, well, it was okay. <laughs> but 
John the Baptist here shows an incredible degree of maturity and confidence in who he was. He knew who he was, he knew what he was called to do, and therefore he wasn't threatened by anyone else's success. But I suggest to you this ability of John the Baptist to respond appropriately toward the end of his life was the result of him making good decisions the whole way through his life. And so I'm going to stand back a little bit from this passage and leave some room for Jamie tonight to focus more on this passage by saying, let's think a bit about who John the Baptist was. Luke chapter 1 tells us that mum and dad were very old when John the Baptist was born. Zachariah and Elizabeth were godly people. In fact, they were involved in the work of the service of the temple. In the priesthood, at least he was. And she was certainly of that family, of that tribe. But they had longed for a child and no child was born. But eventually, through a revelation that was given to Zachariah that he could hardly believe, and he was struck dumb as a result, Elizabeth gave birth to a son. And as John the Baptist grew, he was told the story, no doubt, of this amazing birth, told the story of how mum and dad longed so much for him. But if we look back at Luke chapter 1, we find that actually he was told an awful lot more. In Luke chapter 1, verses 11 to 17, before the birth of John the Baptist, his dad is told that this child will be an amazing child. Verse 15, for example, of chapter 1 of Luke. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go out before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I wonder how you might have felt if your parents, when you grew up, told you your life's work. I wonder if, how you would feel if they mapped out your life for you. Would there have been a degree of rebellion? Would you have said, come on, it's my life. I want to do what I want to do. I admire John the Baptist because he was willing to step up. He was willing to step up to a call that God had placed on his life even before he was born. And it wasn't an easy step up. It wasn't an easy calling. I wonder how you might have felt if your parents said, uh, by the way, you can never have an alcoholic drink for the whole of your life. Well, that isn't too difficult to imagine because that's pretty much how I was brought up. With that conviction to, be, to live an alcohol-free lifestyle. And that's something that I've followed to this day. And actually, I recommend it as a lifestyle choice. But for John the Baptist, it wasn't really a choice. It was part of his calling. He was to dedicate his life to God, and he was to live free from those things that could distract him because he had a very distinct calling. To be a pioneer, to prepare the way for the Messiah. To be a prophet, to speak out with a trumpet voice and to live a disciplined lifestyle. So I admire the fact that when the call came to John the Baptist, he was willing to step up and accept this calling that might not have been his first choice. Seems to me that today, 
at the end of our service, you'll get a chance to say, answer the question, what's God calling me to do? Or it may be that this morning you're already aware that God is calling you into some line of service. This doesn't mean you must necessarily be involved in full-time church work. It may be that God is calling you to be a, a witness in your place of employment. It may be that God is calling you, as John the Baptist was called, to live differently and to speak out clearly. But when he heard this vision from his parents, he accepted his God-given calling. I wonder, have you? Or are you open to the possibility, not just the possibility, the reality that God has a plan for your life? Are you seeking to go your own way or are you listening for God's direction and God's guidance? He was willing to step up and accept a call from God. The second thing I admire about John the Baptist, not only his willingness to step up and accept a calling on his life, but his willingness to speak out. It isn't easy, is it? When you're surrounded by people whose opinions are so different to yours, it isn't easy to be the one who speaks out with a voice that's different. I found that in the school playground. Uh, I came to faith as a young boy, seven, eight years old. And it was known that I attended the Methodist church, and so I was called for a while a big mess. Um, though I wasn't very big, but still. And, and so it, it was sometimes a challenge in the school playground to actually live true to my values as a follower of Jesus and try to be accepted by the others in the school playground. I refused to leave the lads and go and play with the girls. That's when I was seven or eight. Later that came. And so I had got to negotiate this tense relationship where I wanted to be true to follow Jesus, but I didn't want to be odd. And, and I wanted to play the football games. I wanted to be involved in the rough and tumble and the wrestling and all the other things that went on. I didn't want to be a wimp, but I didn't want to compromise. Sometimes you speak out by being silent. Do you know that? When others are saying things that you can't get involved in that conversation, when they're using language that you can't use, you speak out by actually refusing to, to use their vocabulary and to be involved in their discussion. You're still speaking out strongly. John the Baptist, however, didn't seem to have a lot of fear of speaking out clearly. He called the nation to repentance. He said, look, you're not living as you ought. The Messiah is coming and he's going to establish this amazing kingdom where everything will be perfect and right. You're not perfect and right. And you need to get right so that you can be part of his kingdom. And crowds of people came to say, I just want to be buried in this deep water. Notice there was much water there. Deep water, buried in this deep water so that I can leave my old selfish self behind and I can rise to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I can be ready for the coming of Messiah Jesus. Some people came to be baptized who John the Baptist wasn't too sure they were really wanting to change. They were the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he was, he was courageous enough 
to call them a brood of vipers. That's not how you make friends, is it? By calling the establishment a brood of vipers, although you might think the way our establishment works and the way that they can't make decisions, you may wonder what, what planet they've come from and why they can't use what seems to us common sense. But there you go, that's another issue. But John the Baptist was willing to speak out. He was even willing to speak out, not just against the political or the religious leaders of his day, he was willing to speak out against the lifestyle of Herod the king. Now, the story is this. Herod was married, but when he traveled to Rome, he met his brother and his brother's wife, and he thought his brother's wife was a better sort of wife than his wife, so he got rid of his wife to marry his brother's wife. Now, John the Baptist said, this isn't right. It just isn't right. It's not lawful, he said, for Herod to have Herodias his brother's wife, Matthew 14, verse 3. Of course, Herodias wasn't best pleased that this preacher was saying that their marriage wasn't legal and lawful. And so she uh, made it necessary for him to be arrested. Well, her daughter danced a dance that uh, entranced Herod, and he promised to give her whatever she asked, and she asked for the head of John the Baptist. He was willing to speak out, even though it ultimately cost his life. I wonder, are you willing to speak out? Are you willing to be different? He was not just willing to step up to receive God's calling. He was willing to speak out to challenge his generation. Now, of course, we're not all called to be a John the Baptist. We're not all given a prophetic ministry. But we are all called to be witnesses. And we are all called to be different. We are all called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And salt is different and light is different from darkness. Please don't apologize for being different. It's what this world needs, you and I, to be different. Just a little aside here. Um, that we understand what John the Baptist's problem was with Herod's marriage. Is John the Baptist saying that anyone who divorces and marries again is an adulterer? That's a very serious question to ask and to answer. And it almost appeared that Jesus seemed to say that in Mark chapter 14. For he, for he said, according to Mark, he who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. That's harsh, isn't it? But what if Jesus was referring to Herod and Herodias? Remember the story? He was married. He met his brother's wife. He got rid of his wife to marry his brother's wife. And John the Baptist said that's adultery. He who divorces his wife, listen to this, in order to marry another commits adultery. That, I think, is the correct translation of that verse. Not every divorced person who marries another, but somebody who has divorced with a specific reason of marrying another is just find a legalized way to commit adultery, as I understand it. If you want to discuss that with me later, we can. We, we run a program at Carnforth called Divorce Care, 
where people who've been divorced or separated can come and find healing and restoration and forgiveness. So we're not about beating people up. We're about helping people to move on. So he, he what? He was willing to step up. He was willing to speak out. And now we come to our passage, which you'll get even more of tonight. He was willing to stand down. Equally important. Uh, we need to know when it's time for someone else to take the lead. In his case, he knew it was time because he'd met Jesus of Nazareth. And he knew that this was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And he knew that his task was simply to prepare a way for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. That's our task too, you know. We are to prepare the way for the return of King Jesus. Our task is to introduce people to the fact he's coming. And then encourage them to get ready. But we also need to know where our task ends. It's true to say that there are some amazing churches across our world and there have been some amazing leaders who've exercised a fantastic preaching, teaching and leadership ministries. But sad to say, some of them haven't known when to get out of the way. Some of them haven't known when to step back and let the new generation take over. Some of them haven't learned it's more important to introduce people to Jesus than make them your groupies, your followers. And unfortunately, in the Christian church, there are some personalities that seem to be almost bigger than Jesus. That's not our task. Our task is to know when to step down. Our task is to know when to encourage others forward. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's long, but neither is it a marathon. The Christian life is a relay race. And as you and I come to faith, we're placed into our hands a faith and a message that is amazing. But it's not just for us, we need to pass it on. And as we pass that message on, then we stand and cheer the ones who are taking that message to others. I loved athletics at school, and uh, relay was one of the races I really enjoyed. Great if you can pass the buttons without dropping them. But if you're in a relay team, usually four members in a relay team, whether you're doing the 4x4 or the 4x100 meters relay, if you've run your leg, you're still watching the baton, and you're still part of the team. So if you have served God in the church or some other capacity and you're no longer in that position of leadership, you're still in the team. The baton that's been carried by others is the baton that you once held. You are not redundant. You are not retired. You are not irrelevant. You are there to cheer and encourage and maybe do a bit of coaching. Because if you've run well, you can help others train well and run well too. So I really admire the fact that John the Baptist, in this passage, that we're not going to analyze too much because it's there tonight, but he was willing not to attach people to himself, even though his disciples sort of came to him saying, they're all going, they're leaving us. He had supporters who wanted him to assert himself, 
but he refused because he knew it was all about Jesus. The verses in verses 31 to 36 of John 13, we're not certain whether they were spoken by John the Baptist or by John the Apostle, where he talks about he who comes from above is above all. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever rejects the Son shall not see life, but shall, the wrath of God remains on him. But whether it's John the Baptist or John the Apostle that's saying it, he's saying this. If you want to know God, get to know the one who came from God. If you want to experience heaven, listen to the one who came from heaven. That's our task. To introduce people to the one who is God, who came to earth, the one who came from heaven, and plans not to, not to take us to heaven, but plans to bring heaven to earth. That's the message. The king is coming to establish his kingdom here. Sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, sometimes called the kingdom of God. We've got an amazing message of the ability of lives to be transformed. So John the Baptist was one who didn't just step up as a child and speak out as a man, but stood down when he knew his task was over. But he's still influencing us today. Generations later, his testimony lives on. We could say, almost quoting from Hebrews 11, he being dead, yet speaketh. Authorized version, I'm sure that was. In other words, if we live a faithful life, our life's witness lives on. Let's pray together. Father, we know that John the Baptist had an amazing ministry, and yet Jesus said, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How could we ever be greater than John the Baptist? Because we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May that be our confidence as we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.